Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Well, there's never a dull day in our house. So it was um, my son's 13th birthday a few days ago and I'd ordered this cake topper thing which had his name on, said happy 13th birthday. It was in his favourite colour green, very sparkly. And I'd been hiding it away and very excited and said to my daughter, right, put it on the cake because my daughter wanted to put all the candles on. Um, so she was doing all of that. And then she walked round holding the cake and we were sitting at the dining table and we we're all singing happy birthday. And uh, then I'm watching. Nobody else is aware of this. I, I'm laughing now. I watched how the candles were obviously had been placed quite close to this cake topper and the cake topper caught fire. So my children now have a meme of me with my hands to my face saying, oh, my goodness, it's on fire. Um, yes, they've got a meme of that, which they are distributing uh, near and far, which is which is wonderful. I'm quite proud of myself, actually, that I didn't say anything a little fruitier at the time. But my husband, who was videoing the the singing, the happy birthday, the cake delivering, um, very quick, uh, quick thinking, hoiked it out of the cake, got it into the sink, put the fire out there. Then some of it must have fallen on the floor because I could see these flames. So he came and did that. And then while still videoing, he continued to sing the rest of the happy birthday song. So we will never forget that as long as we live. But yeah, if you see a meme of someone with their hands to their face saying, oh my goodness, it's on fire. that That's me. And uh, I'm thrilled. I think I want rights really for it, performing rights for it. But anyway, yeah, that. That's that's how my week's going. How, how about you? Anyway, enough enough about that. We have got some amazing books. Let me give you a taste of what what books we're, we're talking about today. So we've got I should sound a trumpet for this, but it would be too embarrassing for me to even attempt that. So we have got The Devil's Advocate by Steve Kavanagh. Wow, that's an amazing book. We've got The Castaways by Lucy Clark. We've got The Night Hawks by Ellie Griffiths. We've got The Midnight Library on audiobook by Matt Haig. And we've got Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Quite a few books to talk to you about. Now, before we get started on that, uh, I must just remind you about the Spotify playlist because people have been contacting me. Uh, it, seems, it seems you like this playlist. So, 
Um, I started it because I wanted something that would really help me focus on reading. And there was a there's a particular songs that I thought helped me do that. There's no words in the songs. It's just music. And so I put together a playlist that I only put on when I'm reading, no other time. And it sort of helps condition my brain into focusing on on that. Um, so if you go into Spotify and look for quick book reviews, yes, there's the podcast there. But also if you look for a playlist, you should find it. See what you think. Let me know. Um, yeah, it seems it seems to be going well. So so that's good. Um, also, Facebook group, you're very welcome to join us. Go on to Facebook, type in quick book reviews podcast and you will find us there and you would be most welcome and finally before we get on to the books um if you can give me a review on apple Podcasts, it i'd be so grateful because it does have such an impact on their placings um if it could be a nice one please uh, and i have to give huge thanks huge thanks to jojo i love my ipod for their review it your review is wonderful, kind and incredibly supportive. So thank you, Jojo. I love my iPod. Your review um, meant the world to me. Thank you. So each week I will thank uh, anybody that's uh, left me a review. So that's how I wanted to thank. So now, now we need to get straight in to The Devil's Advocate by Steve Kavanagh because this, this is a book. Okay. If you don't like crime thrillers, suspense books, if you don't like ones that are set um, sort of in the law genre, then OK, fine. This isn't a book for you. But for everybody else in the entire world, this is a book you are going to love. I give it 10 out of 10. Let's read. Re let's read the blurb. A deadly prosecutor. They call him the king of death row. Randall Korn has sent more men to their deaths than any district attorney in the history of the United States. When a young woman, Skylar Edwards, is found murdered in Buckstown, Alabama, a corrupt sheriff arrests the last person to see her alive, Andy Dubois. It doesn't seem to matter to anyone that Andy is innocent. Everyone in Buckstown believes Andy is guilty. He has no hope of a fair trial. And the local defence attorney assigned to represent him has disappeared. Hotshot New York lawyer Eddie Flynn travels south to fight fire with fire. He plans to destroy the prosecutor's case, find the real killer and save Andy from the electric chair. But the murders are just beginning. Is Eddie Flynn next? This this is amazing. Um, it was published 5th of August. Um, so it's available now and it's just great. Now, if you have never read any of the Steve Kavanagh books, don't feel you have to go back and start at the beginning because the way Steve's right is in a very um, sort of immersive way. So you could start if, if you can get hold of The Devil's Advocate, you start with that, I would say, because it's it's really good. They're all really good. They all, you know, so many of them are 10 out of 10s for me and yet they get better and better. Maybe I need to, you know, go higher than 10. It's it's a good book and it wasn't, you know, there were times I thought, oh, I hope this doesn't end in a predictable way and it didn't. It just delivered. Um, it was one of those where I just wanted to turn every page very quickly and I, like, no, come on, enjoy this story. Don't rush through it because... It's the the writing is just golden. And uh, well, I, I think I've talked enough about it. Let's talk to Steve now. So Steve Kavanagh, author of The Devil's Advocate. Thank you so much for joining me today. Not at all. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Barbara. 
Well, this is a book which needs to be read. I mean, honestly, anybody that hasn't ordered this book or, or got this book coming to them, they they need to get on and, and order it straight away. It's it's absolutely amazing and, and one that will stay with me for a long time. It's an obvious question, but what gave you the idea for the book? Um, this sort of an amalgam of ideas, this book. Um, I remember some years ago reading about, uh, it was an article about a district attorney's office in uh, Lafayette County. And they did a lot of death penalty cases. Um, whether or not a, a crime is sufficiently you know, awful and horrific to be considered a death penalty case is entirely at the prosecutor's discretion. Um, they decide if it's death penalty case or not. And um, in this particular county, there were lots and lots of death penalty. It was always, if, if it met the criteria at all, even if it was a bit shaky, they said, no, this is a death penalty case. Mm -hmm. And when the junior prosecutors, the junior assistant district attorneys, when they had done their first a death penalty case. They were giving, they were given a small gift then afterward, afterwards, which was a, uh, a paperweight, a metal paperweight in the shape of the electric chair, <gasps> which they proudly displayed on their desk. Oh, so it was as if they were taking trophies from the people yeah. that, that they were they were executing, and that is the attitude to the death penalty for a lot of prosecutors, you know. And um, I researched it and researched it and researched it and find that there's actually some people who are just obsessed with the death penalty. So that was part of the the process, and that helped create the character of the devil's advocate. So Eddie's in Alabama um, doing his first death penalty case with his brand new team, his legal, brand new legal mm. team. Yes, and there's there's evil in this book as well. I mean, it's just, it's an important part of you've got to have the sort of the good and, and, and the bad, but when you've written it, do you have to sort of shake yourself off and, uh, you know, try and do something joyful? Because that there, there, there is evil in, in the book and it does, uh, it, there's a story to be told. Yeah, I mean, so the, the book just, just doesn't reflect the, the prosecutor. It's told from lots of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them is... Uh, from a character who's simply known as the pastor, who leads a group known as the White Camellia. Mm -hmm. uh, which in, uh, because the time I was writing this book, there was a big rise in white supremacy, um, extremist groups in America. And by the time it finished the group, the FBI had said, by the, by the time it finished writing it, the FBI said the number one threat to the United States is domestic right-wing terrorism. God. So it's quite timely, and then it deals with all that. but. The White Camellia, you know, they're no longer, supposedly no longer in operation. They were a real group mm -hmm. uh, uh, who operated in the 1870s. And unlike the Ku Klux Klan, who were poor, um, white, uneducated, you know, laborers and farmhands and things like this, the uh, White Camellia were all the most powerful um, white men around in, in that county, you know, mostly in Louisiana. There were judges and landowners and merchants and, you know, manufacturers. They were um, the top echelon of white society, and they formed this extremist group, and they did carry out terrible atrocities. And I thought, well, what if that group was resurrected for today? And it's not so, unfortunately, that's not so um, difficult to believe. These yes. Days. 
Yes, and that and that adds to it. Last time we talked, we discussed suspense and how important that is uh, in the book. This, I mean, this book it took suspense for me to a, another level. It was yes, just uh, couldn't put the book down. Did you, did you feel that as you were writing it? Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't plan anything out when I'm writing a book, so. It's a good sign if I if I'm rushing to get back to my desk yeah. at the start of a day to find out what happens. Yeah. I'm, hopefully, if I can keep myself in suspense as to what's to happen, <laughs> then hopefully the reader will feel that too. So I think the story feels more organic then and and urgent, perhaps. So yeah, I mean they, these are legal thrillers, but really they are suspense novels. Yes. That's what I write. Um and I hope. When the reader is held in suspense just as much as I was when I was writing it. So when you're writing it and and it's a you're writing a particularly um vibrant scene, do you just have to keep writing until you've sort of squeezed every word out of yourself that's in your mind? Or can you actually press the pause button and come back to it the next day and carry on? Um, I get, I'm pretty good at pressing the pause button. I do that. <laughs> I do that quite often. But it depends what type of scene, you know. If it's a, usually if it's a conversation between two characters, usually they go they go pretty quick mm. because the conversation flows naturally. If it's a descriptive scene, you know, and I'm struggling with it. Sometimes I'll go and I'll write that out longhand first, and then just type it up. Um, if it's a there are quite technical scenes sometimes in my books. They're more adequate, uh, more particularly described as, I think, sequences. Mm. We'll have two or three different chapters from different perspectives, which all lead up into one. They're all building on top of yes. each other and they're all contained in real time, as opposed to, you know, this is something that happened a few hours ago or a few later. So you're seeing a whole scene played out from different perspectives. And quite often that takes a bit of, a bit of planning. Um, so I will have to hit the pause button and say, right, what's the what's the perfect point to stop this now and go into another perspective for for suspense purposes, you know, to keep the reader reading. What's the most exciting time to stop this perspective and start another one? Um, so I do enjoy that. Is it easier to highlight the sort of inefficiencies of law through writing fiction books? I think so. You know, I think if someone wrote a treatise on uh, the injustices, very few people would, re would read it. I mean, I refer to one uh, and the note at the end of the book. There, there's a lot of research done by the Fair Punishment Project into how personalities drive the death penalty in the United States. And it's ter terrifying um, to read that, but not many people will read it or will have ever heard of it. Whereas if I can populate, like if I can tell it through a story, which people are hopefully emotionally engaged in, which was my big thing for this book, mm. you know, there's still all the tricks and, and whistles and suspense in the previous yeah. books. But this book, A, it's about a real thing, a um, couple of real things. But B, I was really hoping to try and engage the reader's emotions more in this book. So they're, they're emotionally invested in this. And if you can do that, then I think people will learn something, and uh, because they're they care about the characters who are involved in the situation, and hopefully it, it makes it all have a much greater impact. 
Yes. And I think the author's note at the end uh, as well is uh, just adds to that because, it, you know, you've you've read this story and then you've got the sort of reality check of how things are in real life as well. Um, I mean, it's a case. Yes, it's a case about Eddie. And as you said, it's about his team, um, but it, it's a different type of case and it's a different location. Presumably you had to have the different location because of the, the type of case you were you were dealing with. Yeah, there's no death penalty cases in New York. Mm. And New York is a moratorium on death penalty cases, mm. so I had to take them somewhere else. Mm. And initially it was Texas, and the book wasn't really working in Texas, so I changed it to Alabama. And I, I brought a lot more of the gothic, you know, yeah. spookiness and creepiness to the book, yeah. which added, I think, to Corn's character, Randall Corn, the district attorney, who is the devil's yeah. advocate for this purposes in, in this book. So that really helped. Um, Alabama is a much more uh, resonant place and a much darker place than mm. some places of Texas. It's also a very beautiful place. I've been to Alabama twice, so I know it is beautiful, and there are very nice people there, which I've met. But, uh, but not in this book. This is yeah. not an advertise. This book is not an, yeah. <laughs> a tourist advertisement for Alabama in any way, shape, or form. They didn't sponsor it as a yes. Come to no. Alabama and have a lovely time. Yeah, but I do want to say it is a lovely place. <laughs> but it, you know, reading. I've never been to Alabama, but reading about it from you know the the heat that you portrayed and the just the acceptance of of the gun culture there. It, it again, it's not something I will forget. You portrayed that very clearly no thank you yeah i mean most people are armed you know go to the supermarket they'll be armed um which is just weird and terrifying uh, you know you just have to try not to think about it really yes but there's lots and lots of guns there you know in the deep south and in these places i mean where i live people are armed with walking sticks and that and that's about it so it's, yeah uh, yeah they can be dangerous enough Yes, tell me about it. Yes, you have to. You have to watch out. Is it a challenge for you when you start the next book to decide? Does the next book start the day after the last one, or a week, or a month? You know, do you have to give some thought as to how how it follows on? Yeah, I have. Um, so this book, uh, the Devil's Advocate, takes place probably. Only a few months mm. after the events in Fifty Fifty finish, so um, I wanted to do that. I didn't want to have a real year between each Eddie Flynn novel because that would age the character more quickly, yes. age everyone more quickly. Yeah. And you know, Harry Ford's you know quite an age himself already. Uh, so I thought, you no, know, I'm everything is going to be slowed down. I don't see why it has to be a year apart. And I know Lee, that's a trick I picked up from Lee Child because in the last sort of um, five, I think, five or six Reacher books, um, they all, that, all of those stories took place within a very compressed period of time. Sometimes a book took place the day after yes. the events in the previous book um, where Reacher was still injured from things that had just happened in the previous book. Um, you still had, you know, swelling and scars and everything from the last one. So I thought, well, that's good. You can do that. That's a great idea. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Lee, I might do that myself, sir. <laughs> you learn from the best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it works. And you mentioned 50-50. In preparation for reading this book, The Devil's Advocate, I went back and reread 50-50. And 
I have to admit, I'm not a big rereader of books because so many new ones coming out and you think, well, I remember what happened. I don't need to reread it. And yet it struck me how much depth you put in your books. I, I got just as much out of reading it the second time as I as I did the first time. So it, it oh. rewards loyal readers. Thank you very much. That's good. I never heard that before. I never spoken to anyone who had reread them. Yeah. So that's I reread that one anyway. So thank you very much. I'm very pleased to hear that. Well, it's that that's just what struck me. It was I was rewarded for rereading it. So I think people need to hold on to their copies and and reread them def- definitely. Do court cases um, that you've experienced before you were when you were working in in those situations were they more likely to make you laugh to find the humor in it or just to get really cross most cases are there's very little humor in any in any of my cases really mm. the real ones that i did um mostly it's it's a constant hard concentration lots of work lots of thinking in your feet sometimes you will see real injustice and that does you know yes that does hit you hard and it, but it was ever it was always more disappointment you know you realize you know, in, in certain cases, you know, you have a great case and you should win, but your ju- the judge is totally against you yes. because they're biased in favor of someone else. Yeah. You can't prove it. Um, you just say, okay, we're not going to win today. We should win today. And we just appeal that one. Hope we get a better judge the next time. And, and again, that comes across in, in the book. So you're able to talk about your real life experiences and reflect and address them in the book there's a story i've heard you tell once that I've, if you can remember it it would be great if you could tell it now about um a lawyer who knew he had not got the strongest of cases and was trying to direct the jury's attention away from his weak case by using um a, a cigar a, yes yeah that's um that's clarence darrow Darrow was a famous um, civil rights uh, lawyer, and uh, he started off as a as a union lawyer. Oh. He represented guys in the railway who were hurt, and then he was caught trying to bribe a jury allegedly, and he was barred from civil practice. So he turned to being a criminal lawyer. <clears throat> um, they could never prove that he did bribe the jury, but one of his associates, I think. Uh, went down, but they could never tie it to Darrow. And he became a criminal defense attorney. And Darrow historians differ, but they think he did certainly over 100 death penalty cases. Um, And it was mostly he was representing um, African-Americans accused of crimes, um, most of the time, again, against a a white victim. Um, And out of those 100 cases, he lost three. Wow. And that was in front of all white juries. Wow. Mostly in the South. So he was an incredible lawyer, but he also cheated. So one of the things he would do is, um, if he was really struggling, and the prosecutioner bringing their star witness that day, yeah. he would he smoked these big foot-long Cuban cigars. And before he went into court, he would thread a lady's hat pin, big long hat pin through the cigar. And he would sit in court uh, and the prosecution witness was called and he would light the cigar and smoke away. And he had a beautiful big ashtray, which he brought with him especially, you know, a beautiful crystal ashtray. 
And he put that in front of him. He never had any papers with him. He never carried papers. He oh. kept everything in his head, never wrote anything down. Just one of those geniuses. Yeah. He would sit and smoke, and the prosecution would be you know, asking the witness questions, important <laughs> questions, questions against his client. And the ash would grow longer and longer and longer in the cigar. But of course, because the cigar and the hat pin and the ash, yes, it's sort of fusing together. So it's never going to fall. Yeah. But he wouldn't tip the ash into the ashtray and he would sometimes move it forward. And you people in the jury were, like, were watching this transfixed yeah. going, that ash is going to fall all over him. Because he all, on those days, he changed out of his normal black suit into a beautiful white oh. linen suit. And he would have this cigar precariously posed over himself, knowing full well it'll never fall. Yeah. So, so he had the jury completely transfixed. They're not paying attention or listening to anything the prosecutor. Yeah. They're all watching yeah. Darrow's cigar ash to see if it falls. Well, that's wonderful. And that, that, that reminds me of Eddie, you know. Yeah, he was a bit of an inspiration for Eddie. Yeah. Um, I have to say. So, uh, because he again, he's doing the wrong thing very subtly for the right reasons, perhaps. Yes, yes, yes. but he for Eddie, truth, whether it's the law or not, truth and justice is everything to him, it seems. It is. He's unusual enough in that he won't take a case if he thinks the client is guilty. He doesn't want to put a guilty person back on the street. So he, yeah. because he realizes he has formidable skills at this. And um, whereas he had done that before and someone had got hurt, he mm. said he'd never do it again. And that's, mm. that's the sort of the mistake that sort of haunts him. And throughout the series, it's, it's, this is something that Papandor has referred to in the first book. And when we find him in the first book in the defense, he's not even a lawyer. He's mm. given up because of this. And he's forced back into it in the first novel. So... In many ways, all these cases, this is Eddie trying to make recompense uh, and get some kind of um, redemption from that mistake that he made all those years ago. Yes. If someone was talking to you and said that they were deliberating, they didn't know whether to become a lawyer or or an author, what would your advice be? My advice would be uh, go, into, go into computer technology or something <laughs> else. Pays some money. Um, <laughs> There's very few authors and very few lawyers that, that, that make good money. Um, certainly, I never made really good money when I was a lawyer. Uh, civil rights lawyers don't. There are lots of opportunities to be a corporate, corporate lawyer, you know, and try and do that. But um, neither of them are very good uh, for making money, not for, for most people, for the vast majority of people doing it. So I would say maybe try something else. <laughs> but obviously, if you're a writer, if you want to write, you're going to be a writer. Yeah. You know, and that'll be your that'll be your second job. Yes. And yeah. you'll, you'll work away at that. So I wouldn't just ever dissuade anyone from writing. Unless you're, if you want to be a lawyer, you, you know, you need to have good connections and hopefully be prepared to be broke for a long period of time before you can start making any kind of money. Certainly I was. For years, completely broke, um, and then so I moved. I moved from the state of of, um, of uh, destitution, uh, and I moved up into abject poverty, and then kind of <laughs> wavered between that and kind of being all right for many years, <laughs> and then thought, I oh, know what, let's uh, let's give that up and go full time writing. Yeah, 
<laughs> well, thank goodness you did, um, because these these books are just wonderful. So we have some questions from the QuickBook Reviews Facebook group. So yes. I selected a few. So we've got three. So Julie asks what she says. Um, do you write anywhere or do you have to be in the zone? I know a lot of authors go away on retreat to focus solely on their writing. Is this something you do? And if so, where? Um, I can, I think I can mostly write, I can train myself to write anywhere. So in, uh, in my life, I've, you know, most of my books, the only ones were written at my kitchen table at home. Now I am very lucky to have an office in this house. Um, when I gave up work, I wasn't writing at night as much. So I would mostly work in coffee shops, but, uh, I have been to writing retreats, um, pre COVID. And mm. there is a, a writing retreat called the, the River Mill, which is in Downpatrick in Northern Ireland. And it's the best writing retreat I've, I've ever heard of. You know, um, it's incredibly cheap. Like it's ridiculously cheap. Wow. Um, and it's beautiful house. There's only five rooms in it. Uh, it's an old water. We used to be an old water mill. And... Paul, who's there, um, uh, is a very gifted poet in his own right and has published and taught poetry and is a fabulous, fabulous cook. So you get you know, your accommodation and all your meals, everything all prepared for you. And I think it's something ridiculous, like £45 a night. Gosh. Which is just crazy. Yeah, you know, absolutely. you spend £45 feeding yourself for a day if you were yes. out near enough. So if you wanted, if you certainly if you wanted to eat like you do in the river mill, the only requirement is you have your 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 main meal with with the other resident staff night. I don't know what he's doing with COVID if I still decide mm. with COVID or not. But um, the river mill in Downpatrick, even if you have to you know pay a wee bit of money to get over here, to yes, do that, yeah, that is the best writing retreat right there. It's a there beautiful, it's a beautiful grounds, beautiful house. That's the one. Fair enough. Well, we might not be the tourist information board for Alabama, but we are for the River Mill anyway. That's absolutely. <laughs> Vicky uh, says, "How much time do you spend researching book locations? It's so well written. I can visualize the location. How do you do that?" Very little. <laughs> Very little time at all. Um, I always think when you know, if I was writing a location, um, I'm trying not to give. A description of a real place because once you put it into words funny thing what happens when you write something down i can write down a description an accurate description of a real place from a photograph but you might read that and conjure up something different in your head it's not because i haven't written it correctly you will create that image in your head sure and so you could i think you can only ever convey a sense of a place and that's what I try to focus on. Something I had worked out, I think maybe two or three books in, this this is the way this really works, actually. Do it this way, it's much easier. Mm. So I'm only ever trying to give you a sense of the place, which involves all your senses, smells, tastes, yes. touch, what you can see, what you're feeling. So if I can immerse the reader there that way, it's great. Um, the, the town in this book, Buckstown, is, is fictional. So that helped as well. Okay. Not a real town, not a real county in Alabama. So I uh, that helps. Yeah. So I can just make it all up as I go along. 
And then presumably you don't get emails from people saying, actually, the brick in that building you mentioned isn't the exact colour you described it. You know, you avoid all of that. I avoid all of that. Yeah. Um, you, you have to be very tricky in New York because of one way to one way system. Um, oh, I have yeah. slept up the odd time, but hopefully I think I've caught them all. <laughs> I think all the routes now are in the correct one way system, <laughs> you know, um, so that's the only tricky thing. People will email you about that. But I, I so far, I think I've got away with that. <laughs> um, and Laura says, why do you choose the US to base your books? I think the United States for a courtroom tour is much more exciting. I think if it was based in the UK, you know, if people call Peregrine and, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Tarquin yeah. and people like this who wear funny wigs. <laughs> Clothes. There are the barristers that operate. You know, obviously there's there's other other ones. I'm just joking, really. But it's hard to write an exciting thriller if yeah. your characters uh, dressed in fancy costume. Yeah. Really, and they you know, that's I, it just wouldn't suit. It wouldn't have suit the type of book that I wanted to write at all. Would you ever write a book, whether part of a series or standalone, in a different part of the world? Never say never. I like I like writing about America. America is just completely fascinating as a country. It's, it is the great you know experiment, you know, um, the United States of America, and the, uh, the Constitution dictates that it be so. Yeah, uh, it's unlike any other country, and for that, it's fascinating and romantic and terrifying, and it's not even really a country at all. It's kind of an amalgamation. Mm. of the individual like texas you can put you know germany and probably most a good bit of spain and the entire united kingdom into texas alone that's only one state so the vastness of it and the diversity of it means why would i go anywhere else yeah absolutely um i know it's going back a while but people always like to know how did you get your first break in publishing your book um, my first break was when I got my first agent. I'm, I'm represented by a different agent now, but I read in the defense and I was sending it off queries to different um, agents and getting knockbacks all the time. But occasionally I would get someone to go, you know, this is good. Send me the rest of this because we're sending out the first three chapters and a synopsis. Yeah. And that, those kind of things kept me going. Um, and uh, I was lucky early enough, I'd tried the Darley Anderson agency and someone who will remain nameless in the Darley Anderson agency sent me an email by mistake. It was an email meant, it was the reader in there, sent me an email by mistake, which was supposed to go to the agent. And the email said, this is really good. I really like this, but I don't know if there's going to be any market for American legal fillers here. Oh, wow. And I messaged that person and I said, you know what? I knew I wasn't supposed to see this email. But I can't thank you enough because it's the first time someone not talking to me, talking to someone else and saying it's good and they like it. And thank you very much for that. And that kept me going. And there was lots more rejections and even bigger rejections saying, look, this book will never be published. Uh, but eventually I got, um, I, I turned it out a choice of representation in the end. And I worked with the agent, you know, to uh, revise the book. And then it went out to publishers, and was, the first three books were sold at auction. Um, so I was lucky. 
luck plays an enormous part in this business. And the thing to remember when you're querying your book, a no doesn't mean the book is no good. It means it's not right to that agent. Or, you know, there's some, and it turns out Darley Anderson Agency didn't take me on because the agent thought there wasn't a market for U.S. legal fillers. Um, so there we are. Uh, certainly for the start of my first three books, there wasn't a market. It appears that they were right because we didn't sell anything. But 13 changed all that. Um, 13 was published in, I think, June 2018. Um, and in those three years, the series has sold now over a million copies. Um, so well, I, I, again, luck is a big part of this business, but just keep running, just keep going. Yeah, I'm sure luck is part of it, but there has to be a good book. Otherwise, if without the hard work, luck is nothing. Yeah. I think you have to, you know, or maybe it's not maybe it's not your first book that breaks you out. Maybe it's your third. You know, Michael Connolly's The Black Echo. It's mm -hmm. his third novel. Mm -hmm. They'd written two, which didn't go anywhere. Um, and it was the third one. That, that got him his break, you know, into the business and got him his debut. But that's one of the best debuts ever written. I'm sure those other two books were really good as well, but just you know, didn't come up to Michael's standards. Speaking of Michael Connolly, he, of course, has brought COVID into his book with the Lincoln Lawyer series. Is, is that something that you might do in your next book or are you quite happy just to exclude COVID from, from your writing? I'm, I haven't decided yet. I'm think, my thinking at the moment is to avoid it because I don't think anyone wants to read about it, really. You know, I don't want to read a COVID book mm. now, or, or a book you know, that, that, that deals with it in any great detail. Um, mm. But that's just a personal thing for me. I'm sure there's people waiting for you know, a bit of breath. I really want to read a COVID filler. Um, but it might, I think it might date the book if I did it a lot. Yes. And, you know, I, I want people to escape into my books and enjoy them. And I think if I put the more, you know, bad stuff I put in there about the reality, the more, the more lessons that escape slightly. Yeah. So there might be a passing reference to it. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. My, my main thing is the moment, no, let's, let's leave it. And that's fair enough. And we do escape into your books and enjoy them so very much. And uh, we, we can't wait for more. Steve Kavanagh, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Philip. It was a real pleasure. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, that was very good, wasn't it? I don't think I need to go on anymore about how much I enjoy these books. Uh, but yes, very good. Now, I should just do the first sentence. So... I'm going to actually, I'm going to read you the first two sentences because I really think this sets the scene. It is an amazing book. Um, OK, here we go. Are you sitting comfortably? Randall Korn had waited for this moment for four long years. He stood in the death chamber, arms folded, staring at the chair. <gasps> Very good. Now, if you're thinking, oh, gosh, it's all it's all evil. Maybe I talk too much about that. And, and maybe it's all about the death penalty. It's not at, at its heart. You know, you can read it and enjoy it at its heart. It is, as Steve said, a, a, a suspense novel. And it's about good versus bad and the twists and the turns. It's just it's a, it's a great read. So very good. Um, now from one very good book to another interesting book. So this is called, the next one is called The Castaways by Lucy Clark. Uh, and this is the blurb. You wake on a beautiful secluded beach. The sun bakes down, a shimmering ocean stretches into the horizon. The island is as far from home as you could imagine. Yet this is no ordinary escape. Next to the wreck of a plane, a stranger circles the campfire. Somewhere a baby cries. Someone sharpens a knife in the shadows, scoring a list of the dead onto the bark of a tree. Day by day, the island's wildness creeps under everyone's skin, tensions and lies whispering on the breeze. A secret beach, an island with no name. What a place for your last holiday. Uh, I enjoyed this one. I thought it, I kept reading it. Um, it kept sort of the pace up. It was interesting with the characters. I don't want to give too much away. Um, it's a sort of a thriller it's it's a good nine out of ten, I would say. Let me read you the first page. Um, OK, well, this uh, this kind of tells you what's going on. Laurie wheeled her suitcase along the humid airport walkway. Um, so, yes, if you're thinking, oh, you wish you could get away and lie on a tropical beach, um, then this is the sort of book you might read that makes you think, hmm. I'm very glad I'm not flying somewhere to a tropical beach because this isn't a place I would want to go. So actually, as a reward for being homebound due to COVID, unable to 
well, unable for a lot of us to travel as we would normally like to, then the castaways could be um could be a good one to read. It's a good thriller. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's well worth picking up and, and reading. Um, and uh, yes, it, say, it says it should be like any other holiday. Beautiful beaches, golden sunsets, nothing for miles. You'll never want to leave until you can't. So, yes, it's it's a it's a good it's a good sort of easy uh, read with all that you would want from uh, from a thriller. So there you go. Very good. The Castaways, Lucy Clark. Now, if I put that on the floor like that, I need to be able to see them. There we go. So they're now placed at my feet. <laughs> Don't ask me why. Anyway, let's go on to the next book. Come on, Philippa, you can do this. Um, the next book is The Night Hawks by Ellie Griffiths. I had been saving this book because this brings me up to date on the wonderful books of, featuring Ruth Galloway. Again, I've talked about these so much. You don't want me to go on and on about it. Let's just say it's a great book. If you haven't read any Ellie Griffiths, Ruth Galloway, I think you'll really enjoy them. Um, here's the blurb. The Nighthawks, a group of metal detectorists, are searching for buried treasure when they find a body on a North Norfolk beach. DCI Harry Nelson believes that the dead man might be an asylum seeker, but he turns out to be a local boy, Jem Taylor, recently released from prison. Typically, Ruth Galloway is more interested in the treasure, a hoard of Bronze Age weapons. Then comes a second death, suggesting to Nelson that Jem Taylor was murdered not accidentally drowned, as he first thought. Nelson is called to an apparent murder-suicide of a couple at the isolated Black Dog Farm. Local legend talks to the Black Shuck, a spectral hound that appears to people before they die. Nelson ignores this, even when the owner's suicide note includes the line, he's buried in the garden. Ruth is called in to excavate. All roads lead back to this farm in the middle of nowhere, but the place spells serious danger for anyone who goes near. Ruth doesn't scare easily, not until she finds herself at Black Dog Farm. It's a good book. You've got to read it. It's great. I'm just sad now that I have no more Ruth Galloway's uh, to fall back on. Um, so, Ellie, please keep writing the next one because I need it. I need to be reading it. And from what I hear about the next one, it's going to be a good one. So, yes, Nighthawks, excellent as always. A, 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 another top book. Oh, now, what am I thinking of? I need to do the first sentence. Right, let's go for it. So the first sentence is this. There's so much blood. That's what he always remembers. Oh, very good. Excellent. Keep writing, Ellie. We need the next one. In fact, keep writing all authors. We need lots more of your lovely, wonderful books. So then we come to the Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Now, I chose this book. Well, I, did, I didn't choose it. It was a book club choice, one of the book clubs I belong to. And I listened to it on audiobook. I don't know why I did that. I think I've just got a lot of books to read. So I thought it'd be good to have something on audiobook. And it's narrated by Carrie Mulligan. So they, they've called in the pros for this, I think we could say. Now, this is the blurb. Nora's life has been going from bad to worse. Then at the stroke of midnight on her last day on earth, she finds herself transported to a library. There she is given the chance to undo her regrets and try out each of the other lives she might have lived, which raises the ultimate question. With infinite choices, what is the best way to live? Now, uh, first of all, I should say I really enjoyed it. There were parts in the book where... Um, 
I just I'd had enough of trying all these different lives and I just sort of wanted to get on and find out how it ended. But then it shows that it's a good book because I kept wanting to hear what it really made me think about. What word will always stay with me is the word regret. And I think it's very easy to live your life, not not always looking backwards, not always regretting everything, but just, oh, I wonder what if this, what if that? Um, and it really helped me come to terms with a lot of things. So for that, I thought I thought it was a, a really good book. Um, but it for, so for me, it was a self-help book, but done as a fiction um, when I didn't know I needed a self-help book. <laughs> so so there we go. Um, I know what you're saying, Philippa. You always need a self-help book. And yes, you're quite right with that. But anyway, so, yeah, I enjoyed it for the sort of the impact it had on me and, and my life. So that, there we go. It made an impact on my life. And that was very good. Here is the first sentence. 19 years before she decided to die, Nora Seed sat in the warmth of the small library at Hazeldean School in the town of Bedford. So straight out, the book tells it like it is. Um, yeah, uh, very good. I don't know if it's even better listening to it on audiobook or if it's better to read the book. Don't know. I listened to the audiobook and I enjoyed it. And and that's that's all I have to say on the matter. It was good. Now we move on to a book. I'm going to have to put my piece of paper down and I'm putting my head in my hands as I say this. Moving on to a book that I'm afraid didn't deliver for me. And when I say this about authors, I'm not trying to be nasty about authors. Loads of people have loved this book. It's probably me. I'm not going to tag the author when I talk about this because I think that's really unfair. But everyone's different and I'm going to be much more... Um, upfront about a book instead of just talking to you about the cover and trying to get you to uh, grasp that I didn't enjoy it I'm, I'm going to tell it like it is so Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir it, it didn't do it for me but as I say it is doing it for a lot of people so many people are raving about this so don't don't think that what I'm saying is 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 the right thing at all I'm sure I've got it horribly wrong um now, what's interesting is that all the blurb that they're talking about is about Andy Weir's original book, The Martian, which, of course, we know about. We've read the book. We've seen the film. Excellent. Um, but there was a book between The Martian and this one called um, Artemis. I'm sure it's called Artemis. In fact, I'm going to check that right now. Yes, it was called Artemis. Now, it's interesting because a lot of people said they didn't enjoy Artemis as much. In fact, it's not even mentioned on the blurb of this new book, which is very interesting. But for me, Artemis was my favourite. So if you like The Martian, you didn't enjoy Artemis as much, then I think you will really enjoy Project Hail Mary because it, it harps back to a lot of the style of that book. For me, when I read a sci-fi book, I don't know, there has to be more more exploring, more things going on. I like the odd, you know, aliens spouting out of someone's stomach and something happening and, I don't know, action, as if you're watching a sci-fi film. And yet, for me, this, as as with The Martian, is it's very sort of one person um, 
trying to survive and all that they're going through and all that they're thinking about. And yes, there is some there are some other characters in it, but it just it didn't work for me. I just I was so excited when it arrived. Um, I got it on the day of publication and yet it it didn't work for me. So there we go. Um, as I say, once more, I'm sure it was just me, maybe caught me on the wrong day. And maybe, as I say, for me, for a sci-fi book, I need more. Um, I want to read it as I would see a really good sci-fi film. Um, and yes, so I'm ever so sorry. You'll all be shouting at me because you all probably loved it. But there we go. Each to their own. That, that's what I think. So we've had some amazing books. We've had a range of books. Oh, I should do the first sentence, shouldn't I? Should I do the first sentence? There's a lot of diagrams. <clears throat> thrust configuration, thrust mode. Right. Um, okay, well, I'll read the first, I'll read the first two sentences because the first sentence is what's two plus two? Um, so I'll read a little bit more. What's two plus two? Something about the question irritates me. I'm tired. I drift back to sleep. Uh, so there we go. Um, read it. Enjoy it. I'm, I'm sure you will. Uh, yes, just just not for me. So what books have we <laughs> included this week? We've included The Devil's Advocate by Steve Kavanagh. Wow. We've uh, included The Castaways by Lucy Clark. Good book. We've included The Night Hawks by Ellie Griffiths. Great book. We've included The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Yeah, that was a good book. And we've included Project Hail Mary by Andy Weir. Not for me, but I'm sure for everybody else in the entire world. So there we go. I have got some great books to talk to you about next week. I've got a very interesting author interview and, uh, and just lots to chat to you about. So um, look, just take care and uh, look after yourselves. And I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 